Hello, I'm Adam, and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This is the whopping fifth season of the podcast with new guests and brand new stories and conversations with some people that you will definitely know and some people that you'll come to know through these episodes. I'm thrilled to say that this podcast is proudly sponsored by the wonderful people at Plant Grow, producers of award-winning organic compost, mulch and fertiliser made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And I know because it's all I use on my garden. And don't forget, if you use the code pottingbench on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your whole order. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, then please consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. It's really easy to do, takes just a few minutes of your time, but it helps this podcast get into the ears of more like-minded planty people. In this week's episode, I'm joined by someone who you're all bound to know and love, whether it's for his garden rambles and live streams, or for his generally positive presence on Instagram. This week, I'm of course in conversation with Chris Jessen, otherwise known as Groovy Gardening UK. Chris is a well-known and lovable figure online, and is a constant source of inspiration and influence to many of us. In this conversation, we discuss what gave birth to Chris starting up Groovy Gardening, his enthusiasm for plants, and also his admirable advocacy for autism, a passion close to his heart. Enjoy. So, for anyone who is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? Right, Adam. Well, I'm Chris, otherwise known on Instagram and other social media channels as Groovy Gardening UK. Uh, But in other words, I'm a uh, town planner, chartered town planner, day job, part time. And I also work as a trainee gardener at Eastern Wall Gardens and uh, for Autism East Midlands to head up their gardening service started this year. You're a busy man. Prolific. (laughs) Prolifically busy. Yeah, Yeah. prolifically. I quite like being busy. Yeah, no, me too. I, I've said this to you before we started recording, but truth be told, I very rarely make many notes before I record an episode uh, of the podcast. And in this case, I haven't written a single note at all. Um, and that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's mainly because I know you quite well already. Um, and I wanted us, I think, to just have a really kind of open conversation as friends and get into the nitty gritty of Groovy Gardening UK, if that's all right with you. Of course, Adam. And I think... That- it's important to understand sort of why I, I set up that that account initially was just to stop boring people, family and friends with pictures of plants as I was amassing uh, what was then just a generating a hobby, a new hobby. Um, but there's a much bigger background context as to why this was set up. And, and certainly as we're talking now, that that relentless passion for something else that I've discovered, something that I didn't feel I ever had, I felt I was as much as I was um, good at, and I'm still, you know, good at what I what I have been doing. I've trained for many years. Um, I, I've just discovered a new passion, and, and groovy gardening was set up initially to stop boring people, but it quickly became a hobby and qualification developer. As I sort of harnessed understanding from other individuals in this community that I'd found, I mm-hmm. discovered groovy gardening late after pandemic I I wasn't really on Instagram I had a personal account that I wasn't using very much and and I missed all of the kind of 
prolific use of social media as we're all sat and confined to our homes and our gardens. Mm. What I didn't miss, however, was the realisation and discovery of how important nature was and that outdoor space was to us all at that time. And in the preceding year, I'd gone through a very difficult time as I'd realised that I talked about being busy. I was busy in a different form, I would say, to how I feel I am now as a, as a gardener, where I was filling out every last possible bit of time with engagements to do that were very deadline driven and um, high pressure and legally bound in the day job that I did. And, and, mm. um, and I was supporting myself a lot. I'd worked my way up in that way, in that business. And a lot of the management was being done by me and not by anybody else to me because I developed that, that perception that I could cope with that. And it got mm. to a point when the pandemic struck that I just simply was one of those individuals that really struggled to adjust to being at home. I needed mm. that that um, camaraderie around me and that listening into conversations from a personal and business nature um, to help enhance my own momentum. And that all went, of course, and really, really struggled. So, yeah, the reality was I burnt out and went off work for six weeks never had done never had shown any interest in gardening bar and appreciation of them at historic houses and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know maybe looking out the window at home and went out into what was our new build garden we'd only been in it six months when we were forced to lock down and it was a blank canvas and it was just yes it just you couldn't have got a bigger trigger yeah. um and of course what's then followed with groovy gardening has been a, a really really strong quick pathway to something um altogether better i would say something a bit more mat- matching I've been, I've been successful in the past but it's nice to find and discover something else i feel blessed that that, yeah. I found that. not everybody has the, the luxury of finding that i think uh, it's about there's something in that, that that i think will chime with everybody and no matter how your lockdown was, in a way, there's a lot of people that we will have both seen on Instagram and other networks and what have you that have that have found gardening, but then have <clears throat> have not just found it. Have have it's kind of found them in a way, and it's 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 made them uh, not read not even rediscover, but discover initially that they'd got this thing that was more than a, just a passion. That was a actually was going to be a, a career of of some form and I just think that the the lockdown and I've said this on on different episodes before and in different kind of conversations is that the lockdown was incredibly difficult for for lots and lots of people but it'd be really it would be really bad to to not appreciate that time for the amount of passions that we all found and not just gardening you know there will be people that that found I don't know crochet I always say knitting knitting is the example I always come out with that but so I'm going to say crochet for another one there'll be so many other people that have found these passions that have almost taken them over and I think that's kind of what's happened to you is it's not you found it but then it wasn't something that was just a fleeting thing it's then become everything that you are in a good way Yes, and I had to demonstrate for a while that this wasn't going to be a fad or phase. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a time where I was doing that quite often. And the point of validation where it, it I was able to demonstrate it wasn't a phase was when the, the account take took off. Um, and when I started to volunteer and, and really take that scheme forward and also prove that, that I had skills in other ways that through life I could never really demonstrate or would be 
sort of often second guess that I wouldn't demonstrate, such as some of the physical skills and the working in all weathers that are mm. associated with gardening. And, and, and I just feel that that determination and drive to do anything at whatever cost. And even if it, I mean, obviously within reason and safely, but it's, but it's, it, 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 it doesn't daunt me. Yeah. I, I have a fear of heights, for example, terrible vertigo and working at heights to prune roses was a very uh, recent task. Um, the rambling roses, for example, uh, at the end of the flowering period. And with, with those, of course, they've got quite established in some of the gardens that I've worked at working at height. Um, it isn't the vertigo that really daunted me because I knew of the task in hand and the precision and the focus it gave me. If anything, it was the thorns on the roses that reminded me of how high I was, not the yeah. virtue of any um, being at height, being on a ladder. Nothing entered my head in that way. And I think that's really, uh, uh, really proves to me that that you can be you can defeat anything that's within you with 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 horticulture. I firmly believe that, and it, it just is such a joy to 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 find it. Yeah. So when you did, when did you actually start your account because i although we you know we talk all the time we know each other quite well i i thought uh that you were part of kind of the 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 quote-unquote lockdown crew but you you were not no january 2021 was when it was set up january the 19th and it quickly grew i started with some early video content but sim with no face on it maybe still imagery in the greenhouse um that i had and um, would just narrate processes in the garden, such as emerging bulbs. And mm. I mean, people have gone on to say and still do say that, that that there seems to be some calming influence in the narration that that I have. And that's how the account in one way started to take off. And 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 also it was very lucky that I mentioned the greenhouse earlier. We'd thankfully with the new build garden, I mean, who does this? They plan out their garden as we did. And when we had the early lockdown, we thought that that it would be a desirable thing to do to make sure that we had things like a greenhouse and we had um, water points installed and power points installed before we'd even considered whether we'd want to do gardening or not. Because we thought <laughs> that from a layout point of view, we might miss the chance in the future. So purely from a sort of aesthetics, planning, layout point of view. Nothing it's the town planner in you, Chris, I isn't it? It is. And yeah. I've subsequently come to learn that there's a lot of transferable skills in it. Yeah. We between us, myself and Jonathan, my partner here, we we mapped out what would be good in the garden. I did a, a sketch and, and there was an area where the wheelie bins were being stored, an extended area of patio, and I put greenhouse in there. Pre all of the, the concerns that I had um, internally that I needed to go through, pre um, the second lockdown, it was, it was at the first point. We ordered it in March, this greenhouse, and it came in September. And I went off ill in October. And I remember there being a picture of me sat in this greenhouse. It was constructed. I wasn't well enough to, to, to build it. Um, Jonathan and his uncle did it. And it's me looking, trying to smile in here. But ultimately, it very quickly became my second home. And mm. thank goodness it was there. Yeah. Um, and then the, the account burgeoned really quickly off that because within the space of a couple of months from November 2020 to that January, I had started to build up a, a, a picture of plants that were growing. I was propagating in that greenhouse. I was getting knowledge of plant growing material, compost and, and tools to use and was increasingly boring those that, let's face it, <laughs> people are switched off from gardening. They don't half let you know. And um, <laughs> I've got to show it somewhere else. So that's so that's when you started your Instagram then. Did you, were you groovy gardening right from the start? Yes, yes, I was. Where where did the name come from? 
Well, I just thought of alliteration. I work quite a lot in alliteration uh, in my how, way my head thinks. And I just felt that that was a bit of a catchy title. I wanted to make sure it had UK at the edge of the title to make sure that people knew where I was from and I wasn't constantly justifying my time zone. Uh, I've always wondered why, why you'd put the UK. That makes so much sense. Yes. Yeah, various, various reasons, but that's the predominant one. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you remember your your kind of early days on Instagram? Do you remember some of the first people you followed, the first posts that you put up? Absolutely. Well, I became well known um, through the My Real Garden movement. That was the first big um, communication driver, I would say, and community driver through there. I purchased the book that had been um, produced uh, for Greenfingers Charity. And I always still do describe myself as one of the inherited crowd of the My Real Garden community, where I have continued that sharing and passions of, of what that stood stands for, still stands for, and, um, and stood for at the time. And um, I went live with Anne-Marie Powell quite soon, i.e. within a month of the account started, because I think I was... I was always engaging with that. I was always commenting and was getting to know people, was interacting. The engagement that I that I made early on certainly was pretty high because I was in, in, inquisitive. I'd also made the decision by that point as well to go part-time at work. So, frankly, I had a bit more spare time on my hands <laughs> to delve into the gardening sector a little bit more, horticulture a little bit more, and, and learn not with any career intent at that point, more of a personal networking mm. collaboration, rebuild and heal myself intent through finding the joys of, of other people on there, both well-known characters and, frankly, um, you know, the next person down the road. And, and, mm. and from there, I forged connections, um, obviously have forged connections with yourself subsequently. I followed your account and you mine for quite some time, Adam, but but there are quite a few connections that I found that, you know, used to work or live where I live. And, mm. uh, you know, we've met in person since. Yeah, quite someone that always comes comes to mind is you you and Gemma um, either worked together, didn't you, or trained together? You know, That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah same little green Absolutely. I previously volunteered as a chair and uh, young planners chair for the Royal Town Planning Institute in the East Midlands here. So I mentored young planners through the, the system, as it were, and held social and professional events for them. Ran a committee and we met through one of those engagements that we ran. Um, and there's been quite a lot of people who've gone into horticulture through from the construction industry and built industry. Uh, or do a bit of both i wonder why that where that where that's kind of what that link is i suppose but well yeah where does that link come from if that's they've gone well, from those that, sectors to the it's that spatial understanding of yeah. place and how to coordinate things and the social and ethical basis upon which we develop a plant and propagate it and um, certainly as a town planner you're the mediator of uh, that place or space so you you're taking into account various different competing factors, some of which are colliding head on with each other. Mm. And you've got to manage that process and find the best outcome. And I see that with the growth of plants and the way in which you lay out a garden and coordinate it and um, cascade that onto others. A lot of things are subjective in horticulture. We know that there's not necessarily a right way and a wrong way, but you're here to navigate immediately that field to get to the to the best outcome. I'm seeing some very similar 
um, scenarios between the two from a design point of view it's yeah laying out things yeah, and of course color coordinations palettes and choices and um and, and making judgments on what's best for your garden is a bit like making a professional judgment on a planning application you yeah. know you do your best and you you hope for the best you don't always get the outcome that you desire but you set out with the right intent yeah i think there's a big overlap there um, is yeah thankfully um, it's really helped yeah we talk about you being a town planner but of course that's you're going you are going uh, into a different a different life a different world a different realm a different sector tell us about that what have you where, where are you heading at the moment so yeah my my career i mean it's definitely burgeoning but i never set out that initially that i would become a gardener where i wanted to take things to the next level was to validate the skills adopted and the knowledge I'd inherited in gardening by uh, taking on some additional qualifications. I rather naively at the time thought that's what you had to do to even volunteer in a garden, let alone work in one, um, let alone talk in horticulture to an audience, all the things that I've subsequently started to do and write and all these other things. And it was a process that I just looked at, I thought, right, I've got to do the RHS level two because that's the, the be all and end all. And that's the sort of defined milestone that, that gardening jobs start to ask for. Generally, I was looking at applications, felt it was a bit premature to go for them, had applied for some and it wasn't getting anywhere. And they were all saying, let's do this qualification. But it wasn't for a, a career intent. I was applying for jobs to try and get some experience of getting interview experience under the under the under the banner. There wasn't a kind of desperate thought of let's go for a career at this this time. It was let's get networking and meeting the individuals mm. in the industry and starting to do it that way. That was one way of doing it. And I went and applied to do a distance learning course. Uh, for the RHS level two, which is theory based. So I do it at home. I take my exams uh, in Derbyshire. Uh, I'm still enrolled on that course. Um, I've done part of the certificate. I've subsequently learned, though, because since that time, I've volunteered at numerous National Trust Gardens, Renishaw Hall, uh, Clumber Park near me and Wentworth Castle. I alternated uh, those with with the day job when I went part time, I did sort of the Monday Tuesday between those places. Mm. Um, you know, I subsequently learned I didn't necessarily need to do the qualification before I could get to that milestone. And then even since then, you know, I've got into employment as a gardener, which further proves that point that that if you're willing enough, you show that intent, you retain the knowledge, and you learn on the job. Importantly, that practical knowledge, mm. um, undefeated and undaunted, even when making mistakes, as we have to do in life, um, with things to learn. That that a, a theory qualification in the way that I took, I've subsequently learned wasn't the be all and end all. And now, you know, I'm in a position. I volunteered for for six months at a. a Bardney Manor World Garden in Lincolnshire, which is great. And then I've carried on um, shortly after that, started in February of this year at Eastern World Gardens, which is one of the most acclaimed horticulturally switched on sites in, in the UK. Very famous for snowdrops and sweet peas, but a really good garden to train in. You know, training as a gardener there, they've very kindly taken me on. Mm. Uh, my contract there runs till January. And then it's got even better than that, that I've been able to hammer notice in to, to lead the garden service um, for Autism East Midlands, a charity that uh, of, a, of a conscience that's very well suited 
Mm. and will help have that um, enrichment for other individuals that have gone mm. through similar situations as I have and, and hopefully are being the, the catalyst for that, that horticultural ambition having the catalyst. So but my message is to, to, to lots of people is hopefully don't feel too daunted that you have to go through procedural qualification that doesn't, mm. doesn't suit everyone. I'm still on the books, but I've had a very publicised diplomatic questioning with the RHS about the exam process and how it doesn't suit everybody. And I still stand by those comments to this day and I'm happy mm. to say so because my pathway I found to be just as valid for a professional garden than that. Um, yeah. And I found mm. in spite of it. And that doesn't necessarily want to dissuade anybody who does go down that process. But for people who are wired up like I am, it, it certainly uh, is has been better to, to follow a different path yeah there. yeah you have that well that's that's the thing isn't it and i think that there are a tremendous amount of people that that will always presume that the that that is the only path that you can follow you have to do the qualifications etc and i said that i mean you're living proof that that's not that's absolutely not the case what was it for you um as a person with autism that that were the struggles with uh, with the exams in particular well i found them to be very scientifically based, which I understand there are biology modules associated with it, but they are written in a way that if you, you've got to write the answer in an exact, precise manner, mm. so you could get the answer right in principle, write all the right things, but if you don't write them in exactly the sequence that the syllabus has written, mm. or even that the, the uh, examiner is expecting, you don't get the mark, or it is far less likely that you get the mark and in a forced exam situation that is no demonstration of somebody's tacit ability to be able to garden mm. and there are some exceptionally bright individuals out there um, in some of the best gardens that we know in this country uh, you know incredibly acclaimed gardens and they either a do not take on qualified gardens gardeners or are not qualified themselves um, you know, without needing to mention those sites, I just know for a fact that that exists. Mm. And I just feel that, that in this day and age, it could be a little bit more inclusive than than it is. Mm. And it's not just a question of there being needs to be made, but reasonable adjustments that need to be made, for example, extra time and different formats of taking an exam. Those sorts of things don't work for people like me. It's this I would say relatively archaic way in which the exams are worded and the criteria for marking them. That's the, that's the problem. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's it's just that actually that, that there is this big push down the line of needing to do these exams. And also it's still very much worded in the curriculum that you've got to do the practical and the theory to be a well-rounded individual in horticulture. Mm. And I find that quite patronising a little bit, that 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 actually there are lots of bright people that, that are being crushed from the... Well, they just simply don't bother doing it because they know that, that, that it's not a demonstration of their capabilities. Now, I'm not saying I'm fully in that bracket. I've, I've gained significantly from the knowledge that I've taken for the exams. My marks are all over the place and um, some are commended and some of them, you know, try again, Chris... But it's just that undercurrent of feeling, I think, that's that's the background of it. I've certainly used a lot of it towards my career advancement and can be very, very thankful for it. So I'm trying to be as diplomatic as I can um, yeah. with, with 
good reason, but those are my sentiments, I think. And I think there's a lot of um, very good individuals that are perhaps being, you know, we, we, we're wanting more people to get through the ranks in horticulture. We know of lots of schemes in place and methods in place to, to help promote people to get into the industry. But at the end of the day, it's a bit like a, a school saying, right, we'll take a certain percentage of people from low income areas in and we've mm. done our bit. I feel there's a little bit of that still going on with the exam system in the majority of people having to follow that route to get anywhere or, or job applications specifying that as a minimum. I thought we'd moved on from that in this mm. day and age, but clearly not. Um, and that's something that uh, I haven't particularly, um, I'm not involved with. There's no sort of interest that I'm involved with in that situation at the moment, but I've been very well versed in saying what my experiences are in that process. So at the moment, you know, I've deferred my exams until next February and remain to make right. a decision as to whether I'll finish those. Yeah, I think this is this is the thing with the exams, isn't it? Is that 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 you and many others are kind of living proof that you don't necessarily need to need to have taken those. You have been vocal about it. You're not shy about kind of you know putting it out there by any means. Have you had a, a reciprocation from the RHS? Have they said anything? I have had a response from the RHS. To be fair to them, and it was it was dealt with off the back of me sharing uh, my experiences through social media on the back of a reel, and that was where suggestions were made about extra time and other reasonable adjustments, such as taking exams online, were were offered. There was a bit of an acknowledgement that somehow, or should we say, deflection a little bit that. Um, because I'd not chosen to register myself as a disabled candidate, that for some reason that they weren't able to make reasonable adjustments for me. But, but, but my concern surrounds the drafting and the ability of the uh, exam process to be a little bit more inclusive in its, its criteria for questions or offer different ways in which the exam is, is held and be a little bit more inclusive as to the merits of a practical course over a theory or vice versa, matched to how you operate as a person and not a marketing of the exam process that you've got to do both to be successful or you know only do one to be particularly successful in gardening. There's this, this mm. narrative both in the marketing of the exams that still, still appears on the website and I'm not just going to quote the RHS, my experience is just with the RHS, but it might be happening with all horticultural qualifications for all I know. To be honest, the suggestions of reasonable adjustments were just simply not relevant to my case because mm. I finished my exams on time. I always answer my questions. I've gone through the syllabus with all intents and purposes, and I don't want to do exams online because I'm worried about the technology failing all the time. Yeah. And so doing them in person is much better for me. I was also questioned about the sense that, that my exams were all my exam answers were all over the place. I've gone from commendation right to failure. And I was almost, it was suggested that because I got the odd commendation that, that it, clearly I could do an exam mm. and that clearly I could pass an exam and do it well. So it wasn't the question of being able to do the exams that was the anxiety. I found it slightly muddled, the answer, because quite honestly, that commendation felt like a bit of a fluke, to be honest, when I did it. When I've gone through umpteen of the exams where I felt very confident coming out of them and then totally degraded when I got the mark whereas that one just felt very bizarre that I'd got the commendation it didn't I don't want to be 
in a situation where I'm doing a test just to scrape by it. Yeah. I'm not that kind yeah. of person. I want to be in that situation and I do revise and I do work diligently. I don't think any exam should be done in that way where you have to fret leading up to it, fret through it, no. and come out thinking, right, I'll just scrape through it and that'll be by. Just don't work by that situation. And it almost feels like that exam is is geared up to be in that way a little bit. Yeah, uh, they are to pass. They are challenging for a reason. I get that. I just feel that that, that there should be a little bit of a um, a bit more of a diverse way of the way in which they are drafted and the mm. criteria which they're marked to mm. to and, and offered. Really, that's 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 where it's come from. So do you, uh, you said you've deferred until February. Do you think you will, you'll sit it again? Is that the last time you can sit it? Well, I've already missed the boat now by mm-hmm. my own choice to finish the whole thing because it's right. two specific certificates. And I can only now pass one of those two because um, the curriculum rather conveniently changed after I applied to do my exam. So right. I've, I've been always been feeling like I'm on a clock watching exercise. Yeah. I feel that the exams are only around twice a year, which doesn't seem to be very useful. Mm. You can only sit them in February and June. And if you have to resit them, you have to wait until the next available February or June to do them, which seems a bit ludicrous. So I'm in two minds at the moment. Let's see how the the new career situation pans out, and what the expectations are on um, whether I need to feel for them and feel them out and do them. But but yeah. certainly, there's been no indication thus far that that I can only progress if I attain yeah. that. But then yeah. I'm not someone to give up. You know, I'm in the situation. I've resat some of them before. Uh, and I again, I say this diplomatically. It's not me wanting to be having a big spat here. It's it's me being constructive, and course, I, yeah. I say this with with good meanings and intent. I, I don't want to finish them. In I just haven't made. I don't want to not finish them. I just want to make sure I've gone in through the consensus, got a few first few weeks of the jobs that I'm doing under underway. And certainly in the case of the Eastern job, the majority out of it through through the contract. And then that's the point at which will be time with when I apply for the exams or not. Yeah. Um, until about December to think about that. Right. I think the other thing as well with all of this is that let's not forget that the Gardener's World head honcho, <laughs> um, Monty Don, is also not a professionally trained gardener. I just absolutely. think it's, it's interesting that you you know you really absolutely don't. It, of course, it depends. It really depends on what you're what you're going to do, I suppose, or what your kind of end goal with it ultimately is. Um, you know, if you're wanting to go, if you're wanting to be, you know, a, a botanist or what have you, then you know, there's a certain element of requirement that you you really have to be able to do do these kinds of things. But you know, ultimately. You, yourself and lots of other people are kind of living proof that it's not it's not a necessity and you I think the thing is that you there's this presumption that unless you've got this you've got this qualification that you don't know what you're talking about and I think that's you know I've been I've been with you enough times to know you absolutely know what you're talking about you absolutely do your your memory and your knowledge and your your passion are are there above a above a qualification so I know you you may want to do it um and you may you know want to kind of do it do it justice and whatever but you are you are proof that you really actually don't you don't need it it's not a necessity is it 
No, it's increasingly gone that way. And 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 above all, I, I when I set out to volunteer in a garden and do the qualifications, that's midway through that process was when I thought, right, this is something I really want to do as a career, full stop. But I will have to build some stepping stones to be able to do that. But it's not just a career. Certainly a, from a gardening point of view, I set out that I wanted to work in a historic garden. You know, I'm working part time in a historic wall garden. Brilliant. Um, so I'm there. Uh, you know, the, the working for a charity um, to support people in my situation represents, along with the Groovy Gardening account as it's burgeoned, an advocacy position really of my own doing a voluntary advocacy position in the case of the instagram account mm -hmm. but then a, a proper paid advocacy position in the sense of the the gardening team leader position uh, at autism east midlands is is that sense of being a representative to help others find their feet through mm -hmm. a given means and that's no different to any other path that i've ever taken i've always um most of the time in a voluntary capacity always bolstered the core line of my work with something else that gives something back in that way. So I've had all manner of, uh, you know, I mentioned my work for the Royal Town Planning Institute earlier. That's that's one such example. But looking, you know, if you were to look at my CV, there would always be something that runs concurrently to the basically what pays the bills mm. that, that, that then determines that. And the blessing with horticulture is that I've been able to forge that into um you know a proper direct career in that way which is mm. which is absolutely lovely and i wouldn't wish for anything else and and that's come through you know a sincere authentic quite raw sometimes um description discussion of kind of my journey mm. um but an inherent ability to just prove myself as myself and mm. you get all of that on groovy gardening and you get that um, yes, with the knowledge, the knowledge goes into my brain very quickly. And thankfully, certainly the long term memory, it is an asset of 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 my condition and, and mm. countless others um, that 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 facts do get retained and things do get explored if they happen to be of a particular interest um, and memories of things are visualized in a photographic way. You know, I see gardens in a very visual manner and can coordinate them and pick things up from very little. You know, I might not be able to describe something to somebody always, but can visualize it and get it down in front of me really well. I might not be able to write something very concurrently, but then can design a garden and do it really well and do my garden really well, which comes back to the point of which why an exam answer isn't necessarily always right for somebody like me, because yeah. you go off and, you know, get a gold at Chelsea, but not be able to write an exam answer, either because A, you can't write, or B, because your brain isn't wired up in that way, but can write. Mm. And and that's, that's um, you know, a real asset that I've taken taken forward. Mm. Um, you know, I'm quite supportive. It's incredibly difficult to have in the condition even now, but there are so many assets to it that that lend itself to this. Yeah, definitely. So what's next then, Chris? What are you what are you planning next? What's what's next in the groovy gardening world? Well, I would like to field a bit more in the arena, coming back to that advocacy point. Certainly, you know, I've contributed to written materials uh, articles um, I'd love to do a bit more writing on gardening 
Um, I've been participating at the flower shows, helping at gardens. I'd love to help out with show gardens in the planting, not necessarily mm. designing them or taking on my own, but certainly contributing to that. Going to talk to people, not only about my gardening journey, but but teaching people how to garden in various aspects, but in a niche manner that's probably associated with um, a particular type of gardening that I'm happy with or certain plants that I would recommend and uh, or gardens to visit as well. You know, you, you know, I do a lot of gallivanting around <laughs> mostly to people and look at things. But again, that knowledge tends to seep into the brain. You know, I'd love to talk about gardens that I love visiting, favourite plants, um, memories that I've forged in my horticultural journey, people I've met, um, not necessarily you know all the time but i you know because at the end of the day i've always wanted to be a gardener and get my hands in the soil and i don't want to shirk from that but i want to blend that in with some of that that extra bit of work and certainly yes i'm more than happy talking to people you know i love doing that um and i'm not afraid to talk to lots of people if, mm. if anything talking to a room of 10 is more daunting than the other it's Agreed, strange yeah. how how people are wired up in that way because a yeah. lot of people are scared of talking to large groups of people. <clears throat> I'd rather a- talk to a larger group. I do, um, as you as you'll know, but I I've done talks at shows and I've done talks at mm. garden garden clubs, and I would much rather. There's something about a larger crowd where you aren't able to pick out the faces as easily. I think when you've got a few people, you can almost see the individuals uh, easier, and your brain, or certainly my brain then starts going to overdrive when I can see people a bit clearer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So it's it's that that kind of extra work. Again, I talked about extracurricular stuff. It, it's just adds yeah. strings to the bow, but it's something I'm deliberately happy. It's already ingrained in me to do. It's not set with the basis of getting me on some sort of ladder. It's something that naturally... Yeah occurs to me i'm already on that ladder i'm already blessed with that and and that's marvelous and i won't take that for granted i will at the end of the day still want to be gardening um as the core of what i do but but having that advocacy as long as i've got that position of and and green and, and groovy gardening is already doing that by and large i have a lovely loyal faithful following and i i want to retain them as as best as i can and, and keep engaging with them um very thankful for that and and and, and as uh, carry on con- creating the content that I, I love doing and but just embracing that with a bit embellishing that with a little bit more uh certainly written stuff um and um extra media inquiries that would be lovely that sort of thing i mean i did do a real earlier this year perhaps even doing a little bit on tv or radio you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing is is perhaps um would be nice because yeah. pe- and this is responding to what people have told me it's not it's not me seeking it no actively all the time my progress has been pardon the pun organic with it really it's happened quickly but it's it's come as a result of a natural bonding really of 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 contacts and, and a new industry i've been i love networking in this industry i used mm. to find it quite daunting in the industry that i've come from because networking felt like a sales pitch and it didn't yeah. feel natural. And there's none of that with horticulture. I can go in and talk to um, somebody who follows me, who I, until the point of going to see them, didn't have a clue who they were. And I can have a conversation that rolls off the tongue straight away with them and then would walk around the corner and there'd be somebody who's on Gardener's World and talk to them and there'd be just a normal conversation with them and 
no problems whatsoever. It's There's no vanity fair going on. There's no kind of sales pitch. There's no ego tripping. It's just normal, irrespective of who they are. Yes, of course, it's lovely to talk to a Gardner's World TV presenter and inside you're <laughs> bricking it so you make sure you don't you know, mess up what you're saying or look an idiot of yourself. But but actually, it just feels inherently natural no matter who you talk to. Yeah. And, you know, it still feels very strange when somebody comes up and finds you. And that is increasingly happening. But it's not to be taken for granted. No. And, and you know, I, I, I'm blessed to do that, but it's not it's not something I'm seeking. I think it's just, you know, certainly I'm, I love narrating what I do. And the more of that, the merrier in, in different ways, mm. the better. Do you know what I love about your your Instagram is that it's not it's not just it's not uh, stuffy uh, in any way uh, in terms of like a horticultural perspective. It's not it's not a boring gardening account by any means. And I also love the random edition of uh, keeping up appearances references. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just my, uh, it. just it's been part of my life ever from since childhood. Where I'd be sort of put against the television, a bit like Thomas the Tank Engine was, and it would sort of ease me from whatever tricky situation I was in behaviourally. And it's always been a fun thing. It's just something to go to. Any yeah. sitcom, you know, I'm not older than before my time, really, in many ways. I get on better with people that are older than me, mm. uh, always have done. And, you know, sticking on a classic British sitcom even now, no matter what new series is on or streaming, you know, I'd pick that any day and yeah. I laugh my head off. And again, yeah, weaving in those sometimes tenuous links to gardening in some of them. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's just that, that, and I sort of obviously, yeah, sometimes I waffle on, on some of my stories about uh, your general things in daily life, or I will have a conversation about something in the garden. And, and present it in a style that is humorous, sometimes calming. I always sig- end off with my signature cheerio to everything, which is what some people get attachments to. Um, but that's how I am at home. There's no difference. There's no act, really, no. Um, at all. And and I've been very open. You know, there are certain other areas of, of how I behave that, that as certainly as I've been quite open about with diagnosis, you know, there's aspects of that that I've been quite open about and, mm. and that's resonated with the public, but it just proved that, you know, you're not just a gardener to show the garden off in its best light. There's that kind of best light versus not so best light, but it's also you mm. and you in your, all of your facets. And it's also um, how that, that gardening sphere influences you Mm. and motivates you and keeps you on the straight and narrow and when you're not on the straight and narrow how you find that um to to get you back on your way and 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 I've always said that I won't hide my eccentricity I spent many years having to do that to get by in my childhood I'm not prepared to do that again and when I found Instagram um it was a bit of an outlet to uh, well, I found other people that were being real for a start. Mm. I know a lot gets said about a lot of fakery on social media, but there's a lot of reality on it when you look for it. Yep. Gardening's probably one of the more sincere ends of that spectrum of that, um, despite the odd foible. And yeah, I'm I'm here to 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 be be me through and through, and uh, that's the biggest 
feedback that I always get from the account and why it has grown and why people keep coming back and listening to what I do is they, they trust my judgment on things. No matter how much comedy or eccentricity is presented, the undercurrent of what I say is still, um, it's not gospel. Nothing is gospel. You know, mm. always find alternatives on the matter that I give to people. Mm. I should, you know, absolutely recommend that. Find somebody else who talks about the gardening subject that I've just recommended to get a sense of balance. Mm. But 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 it's 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 presented in a manner that's cozy and um yeah, slightly eccentric, but but calming and reassuring and wanting people to people want to come back to that and 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 that's not an act it's 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 been there throughout i i, I know my audience um mm. but it's not something that i've trevor trained myself up to be it's just the seemingly it's the way i'm wired up yeah totally agree well if anyone doesn't follow chris then um i highly suggest you do is it groovy gardening uk or one word i should know this shouldn't I? it is yes it, it is, is. and that's it? the same on threads and on facebook it's slightly different it's groovy gardening with chris good lovely well i should put all of those links in the show notes for anyone to follow that doesn't doesn't follow chris's wonderful account now We've got to the point where I've got three quickfire uh, questions for you. Three of the most single difficult questions that you've ever been asked in your entire life. Are you prepared? Absolutely, Adam. Okay. Go ahead. Wonderful. <laughs> Question number one. If you were to start your garden again from scratch, where would you start? Oh, yes, I would start at the top. So our garden is in two um, sections. Uh, and the upper part is under the canopy of the oak tree. It dries out immensely in the summer. So I'd start out again by thinking about replanting that area so that things are a bit more drought tolerant and not mm. sort of having to water that area so much. Definitely. We we did that later in this process. I'd start that from the beginning. Okay. Question number two. What is your favourite scent in the garden and why? Roses, Absolutely. For anybody who doesn't know already from my account, <laughs> I'm obsessed with roses. Currently counting approaching 60 in the garden, would you believe? Lord. Can't be no. without them. And it's the no. diversity of fragrance. Do you have a favourite if you were pushed? If you were pushed to say a favourite, which one comes to mind? Yeah, my favourite garden rose of all is still Gertrude Jekyll in yep. terms of its modern rose capability and, and mm. health and fragrance by far mm. and flowering ability. Um, but yes, the, the, the diversity of scent in a rose mm. and its ability to fill the room and its elegant qualities, romantic mm. quality, just everything in a plant for me. Yeah, well, well, well said. Um, and the final question. Why does gardening bring you so much joy? It enriches me as a person in a way that I never felt I could have. And it just sends me into this other world where A, I can be me, but B, I can be that faithful friend, um, again, that I thought I would never have. Um, it's, it's brought out the best in me. If you'd like to see more of Chris's garden and all the many things that we discuss in this episode, then do follow along with him on Instagram at GroovyGardeningUK. Join me again next week where I'll be in conversation with another fantastic planty guest. Until then, you can follow me on Instagram at ViewFromThePottingBench to see what I'm up to in my garden 
or visit viewfromthepottingbench.com to read my blog and much more.